This is a wee bit of everything. The podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad so be sure to check them out on Twitter at Prem Experience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. This week we are joined by Hayley Barr, who is currently acting PT of Health and Wellbeing within the Achievement Resource Centre at Beclair Academy. Hayley also worked at Stirling University as a teaching fellow for the undergraduate PE degree course. Hayley also delivered online training to teachers across the world in line with teacher wellbeing during the first lockdown, which we'll hear more about in this episode. Hey, how are you doing, Hayley? Uh, welcome to A Wee Bit of Everything. Thanks for joining us tonight. How's things? Great, thanks. Thank you so much both for having me. No, it's our pleasure. I'm looking forward to hearing more about your, your knowledge and experience of the uh, teacher wellbeing research and what that you've carried out and how to avoid burnout. So um, before we get into that then, could you give us and the listeners just a little background information on, on your career to date? Yes, of course. So um, I'm very, very lucky to be in a um, pupil equity post at the minute. So going backwards um, from there, I've been teaching for 10 years now and um, my teacher education began at Stirling University. So I was there for my four year undergraduate degree and um, ticked the box. So ended up in the Highlands and that was a really brilliant opportunity to, to just teach PE in a totally different setting, having come from South Lanarkshire. So um, kids up there were absolutely brilliant and just uh, what a fantastic probation year. Where about, where about did you get moved to in the Highlands, sorry? Um, it was Invergordon Academy, so it's about 30 minutes north of Inverness. Oh, nice. Good, good, good uh, commute uh, from where I'm used to being. So moved into, <laughs> moved into a wee cottage with actually two other girls who'd done the exact same tick the box. Uh-huh. And three of us were all PE teachers, so... Um, that was my hope, but I got faith. I was wanting, to, <laughs> I was wanting to go like up, right up north to just a, a wee adventure, but I, I ended up just staying at home still. So yeah, I, I was, I was the only one to get sent miles away. Everyone else got central belt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was, you were saying, you were saying you ticked the box for the extra money, Lewis, wasn't it? <laughs> no, I ticked, I, I ticked it for the Highlands, mate. <laughs> for the Highlands. Aye, <laughs> no, that's right. brilliant. That's lucky. So the Highlands was, uh, was definitely, I, I was maybe on my radar, but I didn't think I would get that, send that far away. But um, that was just a brilliant first year of teaching. I actually got to stay on there for another temporary post for about eight or nine months. And, um, you know, that second year in a school really helps you embed different programmes. So I was really lucky. I worked with um, a few of the different uh, benchmark sort of programmes we've had running because benchmarks were just being initiated back then. Um, yep. So I worked with the improvement officer and things to, to help implement that. And then my next port of call was to Aberdeen and I took up a, a post there, um, a maternity post initially, and then that turned into a full-time permanent post at Bridge Good. of Lawn Academy. So that was really uh, my first opportunity to get my, my teeth stuck into a, a good school that, that allowed me to, to grow and, and, and flourish in terms of, of the things that I wanted to do. And that's also where I got the opportunity to develop uh, a leadership programme uh, alongside doing my master's in leadership. So it was quite a good base for me to really take my, my learning teaching to the next level and I had a really supportive department and head of department. We were under PE and wider achievement as a mm. faculty. So uh, I was really able to, to expand my knowledge there. And within my permanent post there, I was very lucky to get my two year secondment and that's what took me um, into looking internationally and taught not only in uh, New Zealand, but also Australia and was a cover teacher basically in Australia. Uh, that was quite an experience, I have to say. Uh, mm-hmm. We might delve into more of that when we look at t- teacher wellbeing, but um, 26 schools in total over the space of about five or six months. And that. Where, just, where about was that in Australia? 
uh, my catchment area was Melbourne, but Melbourne's right. obviously so huge that mm-hmm. I was traveling for up to about two hours one way to get to one school. So um, such a such a rich experience in terms of exposing me to all types of education. I was not only a cover teacher for PE, I covered Japanese, primary school maths, you name it, I'd taught it. Um, not to say that I taught it very well, but it was <laughs> it was an experience. Trying to look up algebra and Google while you're still teaching a P6 class was, was <laughs> mind-boggling. Um, so that was incredible. And following that was then a maternity post in New Zealand for nine months, uh, which is probably the single most significant um, uh, influence on everything that I've done since. And um, as I say, lots and lots of different experiences can shape you, but there's usually one that is the single most mm-hmm. significant, and that would be my time in New Zealand. I was at a secondary school there. Within it's the faculty was health and PE, so we, you actually taught health um, just as much as you taught PE, so it was looking at it through a health lens rather mm-hmm. than a wellbeing lens. Mm-hmm. That then led me on to um, looking at teacher well-being and looking at uh, pupil well-being from a slightly different lens. Did a few coaching courses and entrepreneurship courses out there, um, just voluntarily, and then brought some of those ideas home. Moved back to Aberdeen and then uh, back down to the Central Belt, finally, to move home back to, to closer to friends and family. And I've now got a position at Claire Academy, where I teach PE, and I'm also part of the Enhanced Learning Team. So we teach in a, a base that we've, that's been created for our enhanced learners, and we look at pushing the top 20% of our learners up. Mm-hmm. But then I also support um, our lower-end pupils with my equity post as well. So that's um, health and wellbeing uh, funded through PEF, and we deal with SIND one to three pupils. So yep. really nice um, mix of using my experience and then putting it into uh, practice to help help young people that, that we've got um, at the Clare Academy. So, a bit of a whistle stop to if you're there. Um, no, nice one. Nice one. But, so, I'm just, yeah. so, I've just been working your way down. I'm going abroad. I'm jealous of that. Working in New Zealand, I've always wanted to go there. I've heard so much about the kind of outdoors yeah. there. Is there a lot of opportunities for that? Loads. I mean, they actually have an outdoor course. So, they have the equivalent of what would be national four and five outdoor education right up to advanced higher level. And oh, wow. pupils would go out for a day at a time to do kayaking right up to a month they would be um doing expeditions and they do a lot with um outdoor education companies who who can take them away for for quite a significant amount of time outward bound are really strong out there as well so Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely part of their culture and i got to go on a couple of camps and they were just unbelievable just amazing did you like mountain leadership skills and all that as well Mm -hmm. so they would do quite often like water safety will be like a module they'll do Mm -hmm. different stuff in the water they'll do um all different aspects of of outdoor survival yeah um, almost bare grill skills and then uh yeah mountain leaders and up into the mountains and skiing uh wilderness skills and everything it's like that i think that that is that's so important like Mm -hmm. it's actually boggles my brain that half like a large majority like the the pupils and even adults in that and probably in our society in, like in the central belt probably don't know how to use a compass or use actual basic life-saving skills like if I ever actually had to come to it. Yeah and I think as well because it's part of their culture in terms of what they do in their spare time yeah it then influences what they do later in life so because they know how to set up camp because they know how to save somebody out of the surf or they know what to do if they're mm-hmm. they're stranded up a mountain that then allows them to confidently then do extracurricular activities when they're adults even if they're not interested in PE you know say they're an engineer they then know that they can go out the weekends and go hiking safely so I think it does then influence the health and well-being of the wider population because it's taught at school and they're taught in a really supported environment. Mm. I know, do you not know, think there's so much scope for it here in Scotland though? Because it's a big part of our culture, I would say, in the last, certainly during lockdown, the outdoors have become such a big part of our kind of lives as well. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. And I think people have been looking at the outdoors as not just an activity or something to do. It's actually, well... I've seen the benefit of being outside for longer than I usually would be, and yeah. and that benefit then um, can be 
not just emulated yourself, you can look at other family members that you can take with you, other friends, and then it actually becomes, as you say, part of your, you know, what we're doing this weekend, it's going to be an outdoor activity, let's choose between paddleboard and wild swimming or a hike, mm -hmm. who's got a tent, and, and it becomes much more part of the choices that you make rather than, oh, there's nothing to definitely. do. Mm -hmm. There's definitely more scope, I think, to introduce it in schools, um, more outdoor activities. So what's health and safety like over there? Because that's all, all seems to be the stumbling block, getting kids out of school into the local community. Yeah, I think um, because the teachers are very used to it, their, their protocol for health and safety is quite sharp. They've, they've, they've got... Um, they've got systems in place, they've got protocols in place where yep. they know exactly what to do. So, okay, if we're going to this camp and it's this week, here's the risk assessment for it, just double check that everything's okay. So everything's basically already rewritten. It's already yeah. templated because they're so used to doing it. So the teacher that, lead, the teacher that leads um, the outdoor education course in the college that I worked in, he had everything saved on his um, USB stick of every camp that they would possibly go to, what year group it was and what time of year it was and then he just plonks that into their, their documents and parents are so used to their kids going away that I would say they are less as, less risk averse in that they yeah. want their children to go outside and they see that as an opportunity if they didn't do it they would probably have a problem with it. Mm -hmm. no, it sounds as if it's embedded more there then. Yeah. No. Kind of at the early stages of it. Yeah. Because Lewis, you're on your mountain leader course and around you, you want to take school trips away. Yeah, I've done my my training for it, so it's like what it was like a two weekends I did down in the, the Lake District and and the Peak District. And then I've got to sign up to do my assessment, but obviously COVID kind of pushed all that stuff back. So I'm still currently logging my you've got to log quality mountain days and then I think six wild camps you've got to do. And they encourage you to go out and do that on your own and like plan out a wee trip and navigate and stuff like that. So I need to go down and book my assessment still. But yeah, that's the, the plan. I'd love to be able to take the, the kids to do some hiking and get involved in some of the Duke of Edinburgh stuff at my school. So Yeah, Emily, what was that you were saying the first weekend? You threw the compass away and just put on Google Maps? <laughs> <laughs> I just used my watch. <laughs> technology. That's what technology's yeah. there for. Uh, no, but you weren't allowed. You weren't allowed to use it. But I was like using the map. So I'm gonna be sneaky check at my wallet <laughs> just so I didn't get lost. No, but so no, really, I like, oh, sorry, I like what you're saying, but in terms of like how it makes you feel, because I know like I've like my mum would never in a million years have climbed a Munro like five years ago. She'd never think she could have done it or that. But we eventually, I eventually got her out, and we we went and we climbed, but we just took our time and see just like the how amazing that she said that that made her feel just being out there for like the full day and even just like the conversations you have when you go away hiking and that like just taking it all in just completely appreciating like your surroundings and how amazing the, the countryside is and actually how amazing it makes you feel when you're actually out there just completely surrounded in it and then when you're driving back into like where you live and stuff like that it just starts to get that that wee bit more hectic it's if you've just been completely yeah. shut off for the world like it just does you the world of good it's so amazing definitely yeah, definitely need more of that in our lives. Um, <laughs> we need to finish them next time we go to Clark because we end up just kind of kiboshing it halfway. In training. <laughs> uh, so, Haley, you were saying you're kind of from South Lanarkshire as, as well. What about were you kind of? Um, I went to, to bigger high school, so I was um, brought up, yes, very much a countryside in terms of grew up on a farm, but. Uh, yeah, South Lancashire's home, so. Nice one. Do you know Rachel Barr? She would happen to be my sister. Oh, really? <laughs> Is it? I don't know that. I swear, we're, we're, so we're, small, it's a small world, especially South Lanarkshire. That is hilarious. Also, everybody's your brother or sister, so there we go. That is so funny. <laughs> oh, there we go. I didn't know that. Um, I was kind of thinking that once you turned bigger, straight away there. Um, uh, right, so we're going to move on to some uh, teacher wellbeing questions now, Haley, if you don't mind. So, I know you've been doing a lot of research. Was that what you were doing your master's in? Uh, no, it didn't happen to, to cross over to that. I was more interested in pupil leadership, so it was a few years later that the okay. teacher wellbeing sort of kicked off. Right, so sorry. Um, so just kind of, would you be able to elaborate then a bit further on the, the research and what you've been doing and involved in around teacher wellbeing and the importance of raising awareness with other teachers? So I'd say that it probably started um, whilst I was in Aberdeen in terms of me looking at how pupils were affected by uh, moving from S6 into leaving school. 
I spent a lot of time with our S6s and taught the Higher Leadership Award. And I was actually really lucky to be given time on the timetable with pupils to do that. Um, they would do 40 hours of practical leadership in the school. I spent a lot of time with them and unbeknown to me at that time, I was doing personal development with them. I didn't really know that. I was doing you know, um, all the different tests that you would do for what type of a learner they are, um, different aspects of their personality, lots of personality testing and looking at who, what makes them who they are. And then I brought in inspirational leaders and role models to speak to them about their life. So it would be people from the army to people who had travelled around the world to uh, people who just set up their own companies. And I linked with a, a local social enterprise that helps develop uh, young businesses and startups. And I actually got them to come in and do um, entrepreneurial skills with the, with the six years and, and really let them think outside the box. And I think that prepared them for when they were leaving school because school's very prescriptive mm -hmm. and you're taught to learn a certain way and actually once we started to expand their minds they started to be much more relaxed and then they actually started to be real assets to the school and they then could think of school as more of a community that rather than an exchange of knowledge of I come in I learn I then leave they then became much more part of the school um, in terms of what they contributed but equally what they got out of it was mm -hmm. much more than I think our previous six years had what was that called? Uh, course called? It's called Higher Leadership. It's a leadership award, so it's not a higher in itself, but it's two units right. um, that are at SQCF level six. So they get uh, 12 SQCF points. Yep. And it's really, really, really good for their CV. I'm running it right now in Beclair, and I know um, a few other schools, Uddingston Grammar, and a few other schools run it as well as part of maybe prefix or if kids are already in leadership roles doing coaching, they can get this uh, qualification. Right. And when I was doing that, I was actually working with staff and asking them, well, have you got some leadership opportunities for young people? And they also saw the change in the development and the growth in the young people. And they themselves took a little bit of interest in, in the course and in the content. And it wasn't until I returned, I guess, from New Zealand that I then looked at staff rather than just pupils. And I knew that staff were interested. I knew that this was maybe something that could go wider, but I, I probably didn't have the skills or the expertise to know how to do that um, in my early years of teaching. Mm -hmm. Where I saw it really working was New Zealand. So an example would be on a Friday every, every few weeks, there's a staff barbecue and um, the head teacher puts on a staff barbecue for the staff and everybody gathers around the barbecue and chats and has a couple of beers or, or doesn't, just um, socialises. And that really helps with staff morale helps with de-schooling in terms of just talking about the school day talking about what's happened or or maybe just talking about your life and sharing stories and opportunities that you've been involved in and that helps people understand you more as a human rather than just a teacher but what was really nice was the pupils would come along and serve the serve the burgers and the sausages to their teachers and yeah. great in terms of you not having to lift the finger but also <laughs> it was just you know that way when you're like oh that you know the teachers can serve the pupils, but the pupils can equally serve the teachers. Yeah. And I'd been lucky enough when I was at uni, I did a placement out in New Zealand um, over my summer holidays. And every day you would go into the staff room and different pupils were on a rota and they served teas and coffees at every break time to teachers. And you just think, you know, like teachers are seen as the, the people who do all the giving in a school, whereas the pupils in New Zealand seem to appreciate that by giving back to the teachers who spent their time teaching them. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that's a really nice exchange rather than us always being either the ones that are telling them off or the ones that are teaching them. They're also there to support the teachers and be part of that community. And then it expanded further because they offered CLPL in the school and it wasn't your usual learning and teaching group, behavior management group, raising attainment group. It was connected teachers. It was walk and talk. It was surf group. It was, theatre arts group so it was almost like extracurricular clubs for the teachers and that was your CLPL so the teachers valued their learning and teaching in, in terms of their professionalism and they did lots of courses they would do it maybe in their own time and we would also get faculty time to do that um, but the, the extracurricular opt-in sort of here's your choices could go for them um, was to looked totally different to what we've got so I opted in for connected teachers and there was about 16 of us from all around the world that taught in the school and it was our job to share our story and you weren't really allowed to talk about your teaching career and you learned about people's lives about their grandparents about 
um, where they'd emigrated from, what their story was, how they connected with communities that they lived in. There was a guy who grew up in a banana plantation in uh, South Africa. His journey was incredible. You learned all about um, history of, of his life and his parents and how he's got to be where he is. And after that, you're able to have really genuine conversations with people that are not just like, oh, how's your day going? Oh, end the terms in a couple of weeks. I know we'll get there, yeah. It's not the same old chat. And I think that same old chat doesn't assist um, teacher wellbeing. It's not health promoting. Mm -hmm. yep. What's health promoting is knowing about other people's lives and taking a genuine interest in them because you understand certain aspects or can relate to certain aspects of their life. And when somebody genuinely listens to you, your well-being is going to increase because you're making a connection with another human being. And you're not just seen as the workforce, you're not just seen as the teachers or the staff, you're seen as a, as a person. That's and that was something I really wanted to capture. Have you, um, have you tried like any of those kind of things in your current school then? Like Yeah, so, so I've been very lucky um, in terms of, of trying out different things because lockdown came after Christmas. I'd set up a staff health and wellbeing teams page just for um, staff to go on and do staff surveys and look at different um, aspects of wellbeing, click on links, watch videos. And it was really just an online platform for wellbeing resources. So I believe I'm at the stage of raising awareness and building an education platform. I don't believe that I'm at the point where we are going to um, really make a huge amount of change until everybody gets to the point where we, where they know a little bit about themselves and their well-being. Mm -hmm. So I put connected teachers on that Teams page as an opt-in and I started it with a wee photo of myself and then a little bit about me and about what I like doing and what I enjoy. And then what I'm going to ask teachers to do in um, hopefully the, the next following months is I'm going to pick somebody at a month and they're going to put in their little bit about themselves. And it's really just a, a connection with a teacher in the school who maybe didn't know. We're going to have NQTs joining um, or new staff starting in August. It might be quite nice for them to click on there and, and find out a little bit about staff. So I'm doing it on an online platform, obviously, because it's COVID times. But normally I would um, be hoping that I can, I can hopefully do that in person soon enough. Yeah, that's fantastic. I like the idea. Oh, sorry, Clark, on you go. <laughs> no, on you go. No, I was saying I like the idea about the, the, the surf one. That just sounds absolutely brilliant. I think we'll do that after school. Yeah, it'll be good to implement that up in five. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I think it'd be more paddleboarding. I'm at the sea I'm at the seaside to be fair, but there's no waves. <laughs> paddleboarding would work. Um, so has there been anything else that you've picked up then over <clears throat> over the years then that you've been able to implement and change your practice in in your current school, any other sort of projects or initiatives? Um, I'd say in terms of looking at like resilience programs and that, that word is, is thrown around a lot. Um, it's no use telling kids to be resilient or telling teachers they to tell kids to be resilient. Um, so I think I looked at that when I was in New Zealand and I, I ran a resilience program um, and I guess it was a bit hypocritical of me to name it that, but the, all of the teachers I spoke to, they said that that was one thing that they wanted their year eights, which is like their second years to build on. So I called it that because that's what they'd asked for. But basically what it was, was I got all of the six years that I knew in the school who were um, really quite influential and I had them for a day, trained them up. They came up with four different stations for all these kids to go to. And we, we incorporated cultural and, um, really like popular culture sort of um, influences. So we used music as one of the categories. We used sport as another. That's really important to New Zealanders. But then also we used the Maori culture. So we looked at Maori influences and using um, all of the movement and games that, that really tie into what's called haora, which is the, the philosophy for health. Now, the philosophy for health is the thing that I, th I think has had the, big, the biggest impact on me in terms of understanding health in four domains. So they um, have a Maori meeting place and that's named the Marae. Now this school was, was beautiful. It was, all, it was all newly built in the past 10 years. It had a Marae on campus. So you would go up to the Marae and you would take your shoes off and you would enter. And there was a Maori teacher there and you would learn all of the cultural um, philosophies from him. And that was timetabled in for the classes. The Marae is built with four walls. 
each of your four walls are a aspect of well-being so you've got physical and mental across from each other then you've got emotional and social together and then you've got spiritual now those four walls hold up what's the roof and the roof comes almost all the way down to the ground it's almost like an old chalet mm-hmm. and the philosophy is that the four walls hold the roof up now if one of your walls is um, unstable you need to invite people into your mirai to help hold the roof up and i just thought it was a really um really poignant way of describing health so if one of your four domains of health is not as strong as it could be you need to ask for help and you need to let people in Mm -hmm. in order to support you and help rebuild that wall until you're in a safe place to be able to support your own roof and equally um, the marae is a maori meeting place but it's the same place as where you would get married is where you have a funeral it's where all of the emotions within um, a community are, are celebrated or um, exercised and I think that's also really important in that that's the same for us as humans you, you, you before you um, do any sort of emotional um, outburst or reaction before any young person in your um, class is going to have a reaction something's happened inside first so it's looking what's happening inside our young people what are they experiencing and then finding ways in which they can express it so I told, I told my, um, I've got an S3 wellbeing council made up of, of 16 young people who, who volunteered. And I told them this philosophy and now they, they really got it and they, they loved that philosophy. They've then shared that with um, our S1 to 3s in some assemblies that we've done and they use that philosophy to describe health and, and how you can help each other but equally ask for help if, if you're needing it. Yeah, I love that. That's a good, that's a good way to... To describe it, that you to invite people and really accept help, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, nice one. Thanks for sharing, sharing that then, Hayley. Um, Hayley, my question for you then, and still in relation to kind of teacher wellbeing, what are some of the, the common myths or barriers around addressing teacher wellbeing that you've kind of experienced? Um, I guess the one that I hear the most is the big T, which is time. So, um, a lot of teachers will say, oh, there's just not time for that. We don't, we don't, get, we don't get time for that. And so the, the biggest barrier is, is the fact that in teaching, your time is your commodities. It's very, very precious. So everything you give is for either 50 minutes, 60 minutes at a time. And it's everything you've got for that time. You've got two or three minutes for the next class arrives or maybe zero and you're straight back in. So people are spending so much time giving and not enough time filling the cup. So they're emptying the cup all the way down to the bottom and they're not filling it back up before the next day. And you can't give from an empty cup. So for me, it's people actually granting themselves permission, which no teacher will ever do because you go into teaching to make a difference or to influence young people's lives or to help people who are less, um, less, uh, have less opportunities than you. You want to share those opportunities. So my thing is allowing people to give themselves the permission to do the things that matter to them. So it could be going on a walk, a cycle, a run, whatever it is that you enjoy and doing it guilt-free, yeah. having a bath. I'll go into lots of workshops and I'll ask people, who, who, when was the last time you had a bath? Oh, that's a waste of time or it takes too much time. But actually that time spent doing that for yourself is time well spent because you're filling your cup back up so then you can better serve others. So the, the biggest misconception is we don't have time. If we then make time, we feel the guilt from it. And then if we feel guilty, we don't tell anyone that's a feeling that we have. So then we stop ourselves having those pleasures or those luxuries, as we would call them. They're not luxuries. Um, they, are, they are exercises that we need to do to enable us to do our job as well. Almost. Correct. So sometimes people do need permission. So when I'm in a workshop, I say, well, I'm giving you permission right now to go and switch off and not do any work this evening. But equally, um, I, got, I, I got given the same permission. So when I was in New Zealand on my very first day in the school, quarter past three bell goes, I'm still there at half past three trying to write out all my registers and look at the ESN list and get, get all my pupils um, sort of in line. And the boss went to me, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh no, I'm just looking up all the ESN for the kids. And he was like, no, 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 what are you still doing here? The bell went 15 minutes ago. And, I, and I, I looked at him with the most confused face. I've been here for 15 minutes after the bell. I don't really know what you mean. And I honestly would stay until 6, 6 6.30 quite often. Um, and probably in the first four years of teaching, I would hardly leave after five, uh, before 5 o'clock. Mm-hmm. 
and to tell him that he gave me the same look so he said so what you do here this is how we do it here you arrive early if you want to arrive early at the start of the day um and that's fine but you leave on the bell because that's when the children leave and that's when you leave to go home you go home you do whatever you want to do you go a swim you go a walk you go um to the gym whatever evening activity you have planned you do that in the afternoon you then have something to eat and then if by that point you think i need to sit down and do work you put on comfy clothes you pour yourself a glass of wine and at that point if you still want to do work you do work and I can easily say that I never did work at home ever again. Mm-hmm. And it made me way more efficient at work because I knew I only had a certain time slot and that everybody was going to leave and that it was not cool for me to stay. And equally, when I went home, I did all the things that I was looking forward to. I made plans in the afternoon because I knew I was going to be able to do them. And I came in the next day completely refreshed. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I ever did that in the first four years of, of my teaching. And when I reflect and I think about how easy that would have been, because I got myself into thinking, oh, well, I need to stay because everybody else is staying. And if I don't stay, I look like a bad teacher. And it's nothing to do with that. So to answer your question in terms of misconceptions, it's that we think, or we have been uh, potentially um, indoctrinated by the environments we've been in into thinking that we need to be physically in school and spend time there when you can be trusted to do work if you want on your own, yeah. in your own house. and. Lockdowns prove that we can do work at home um, if we really need to. Absolutely. And do you think that was the, you, you spoke about that there's like that kind of one experience that, that kind of shapes you. Do you think that was one of those experiences, yeah. having that conversation with that head teacher? Yeah, for sure. Because um, he said, you know, you're, you're, no, you're, you're no use to me if you're burnt out. You're no, you're no use to, to anyone or the children mm-hmm. if you come in here unrefreshed. And, and he's so right. So, uh, my philosophy is, you know, for personal leadership, it's you serve yourself first so that you can serve others. The same as on a plane, you put your own mask on before you put on someone else's. Yeah. You know, you're no use to somebody if you've run out of oxygen. Um, yeah. And it is that we we have been told that, oh, the most amazing people put others first. Yeah, that's fine. But to what extent are you sacrificing your own well-being to put others first? Because if you're completely sacrificing your your whole health and well-being and everything that you do, then you're not going to be able to put anyone else's mask on. Yeah, your work's going to be compromised, isn't it? Correct. Do you think more needs to be done then for probationers or student teachers then? A hundred percent. Yeah, so um, I think I I told you last time that um, I was a teaching fellow at Stirling Uni for for two or three terms. And I I worked with the third year, so by that point they'd had three placements and... Um, I managed to squeeze in sort of a well-being session um, one afternoon and we sat in a circle and there was a girl scratching scratching her arm and I was like are you okay have you got like a rash no it's just what happens when I get stressed and then the other girl's like oh and I get this when I get stressed and I get this when I get stressed and everybody had something physically a physical ailment that they got when they got stressed and everybody knows what it is it's you know it can simple as an itchy ear or a I get a rash or I get this or that so if stress is driving your physical, um, your, if, if you're physiologically reacting to stress, your body is at the point where cortisol is pumping around your body. Now, if cortisol is pumping around your body, um, you're in fight or flight mode. And you're not out of fight or flight mode until you know that the danger's gone. So all of these third years are sitting with what they think is a saber-toothed tiger behind their shoulder because your brain unfortunately hasn't caught up with um, evolution and it does not know that stress in a, in a problematic fears or something that you're actually a little bit worried about that's not going to kill you. Our brains don't know that. So what is happening is we are in a, in a stress loop that we cannot get out of. Now, we need to understand that on a physiological and biological level to understand how stress impacts our well-being. If you're at the point where you're scratching your arm raw because you're in a department where everybody's stressed, you're also trying to write essays and lesson plans to 1am in the morning and try and teach kids and be influential and play for your football team and be the social captain and every other pressure that you've got while you're at uni, what is it going to be like when you leave uni and then you're a full-on adult? I mean, I just bought a mattress for the first time the other day. How stressful is that? So, you know, there's no guidebook for being an adult. So there needs to be a guidebook for dealing with stress when you're going through your teaching degree. Equally, there needs to be a, a, a really high priority on looking after well-being when we go into a probation year because that can be the make-or-break year for you if you decide you're ever going to become a teacher or not. 
if the stress gets too much, you'll leave the perversion before you even give yourself a chance. And quite often it's the stress that drives you out and you're not, not actually your lack of um, knowledge or your, or your understanding and ability to teach. It's our management of stress and how we perceive situations. So I spend a lot of time trying to explain to, to anyone that I can, there's a physiological response to strength, stress when your brain is triggered by a fear. Your brain is not developed enough yet to know that it's not a saber-toothed tiger that's going to jump out and kill you. Um, and that, that to me could not be more important or a higher priority in terms of, of looking at teacher well-being and also teacher retention. Like we don't want people to leave mm-hmm. when they're young. We, we don't want them to. Um, I, think, I, think, I, think the retention, I think teachers leaving the profession is at an all-time high, isn't it? I remember hearing on the, the radio. Within the, first, within the first five years, I, th- I read that mm-hmm. stat somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Years, I don't know about you, Clark, but I think, um, Hayley, because we've been doing some, some webinars as well, and a lot of it is for student teachers. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that would be something that you'd be maybe interested in, in doing later on down the line and coming on yeah. and just sure. allow, because we get the students, we'll send out a Google form and then they, we ask them if they've got any questions for the guest and then we can create a script based on the questions that that they've yeah. got and they want answered. So I don't know if that's something yeah. you'd be interested in doing, but I think that'd be super helpful. Everything you've yeah. just said. You there, guys just, have got an awesome yeah. audience. So you've got an audience of really conscious teachers who I think mm-hmm. want to make sure that they can have a really long and healthy career. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if we can serve them and we can give them just little hints and tips to help them, I think, you know, that's only a benefit to, to them and us as potentially, you know, co-workers that will that, meet them one day and then down the line, young people who they'll work with and help educate about how to look after themselves. Yeah, definitely. I think what you've just spoke about there in the last couple of questions is going to hit home with a lot of, a lot of people. It certainly has for me. It's been some absolutely fantastic insights into how important well-being is, especially with the, the analogy you used with the, the four walls and the roof and stuff like that. It's absolutely fantastic. It's a really good way of looking at it. So... Um, thanks for sharing that. No problem. Um, my next question then for you, Haley, is kind of looking onto something you've I, I kind of noticed on your Twitter, and it was the the community organisation called Intuitive Design Sessions, um, and that was to address the challenges that we face in modern society. Could you maybe talk to us a wee bit about that, and kind of what the highlight of this venture has been for you, and how can impact that it's had? Yeah. So um, it was it was born, I guess, in New Zealand. Um, and I guess for me, it was part of a personal leadership journey of my own. I signed up and paid, um, paid a good amount of money to a coach who was, she was just starting out as a, as a I guess, a, a lifestyle coach or a, a life coach. And New Zealand is, is quite renowned for its forward thinking attitude to, to looking at problems and coming up with solutions. So she had an NLP approach, so Neuro Linguistic um, Pathway. So that's basically looking at how your brain is wired and how we can interrupt different pathways that have been initiated in our brains through our experiences and our upbringings. And actually trying to interrupt those pathways for more positive outcomes because quite often we get stuck in a loop and it's interrupting those feedback loops that come back to our brain without us thinking about it because the neural pathways are, are, are firing. Um, it's a scientific look with a very um, personal development approach and, and it's a strength-based approach. So you do a six-week program where for once a week, every morning you meet in a group for an hour and you sit around the table and you talk about a certain theme. Now, all of those themes that were covered, um, I was the only teacher in the room and all the rest of the people were actually lawyers and business people and all different, they had real jobs kind of like the real world and it's, mm-hmm. it's funny not to, to do a CLPL with without teachers and actually really nice to sit around the table and not hear people complain about teaching issues and what it did for me was it actually allowed me to open my mind to, to what is possible to talk about around a table but within a community that's going to allow people to have that sense of freedom to live a healthier and more purpose-driven life. Now that's not for everyone so I get that but what is for everyone is if somebody in your life is struggling, you want to help them. So that, that is something that everybody wants to do, regardless if you think personal development or leadership or personal growth is your thing, helping other, helping other people who you care about is always gonna be somebody's thing. 
So I thought, how can people best do that without compromising themselves? And how can they have these really quality conversations that allow people to feel supported in times of crisis or need? So I spent a lot of time reflecting on that, looking at that. I came home and um, got my mum and my sister and all my friends and 16 um, willing volunteers to sit in uh, my house and I tried out a workshop with them and basically tested if my idea worked, like, is this something we need to do? And then my sister said, near the end of it, she was like, well, this is 16 girls. Do guys feel the same way? I thought, hmm, good question. So then I got my dad and all his pals, and they were builders and electricians and farmers. They hadn't even, they'd never seen a post-it note in their life. Never mind <laughs> do a self-reflection wall that was making them put, put all their posters up and put it in order of priority and all this. And what was the most striking thing? I put out, uh, you know, the agility ladders you get in football? Mm-hmm. Put them out on the ground, and I picked my dad's best pal. I said, right, stand there. So that's one on the stress scale. Where are you? It was like on holiday, but my card won't work. Cool. Move up to two. Oh, I've had a phone call. One of the boys hasn't turned up to, to Brickley. Right, okay. What's three? Oh, when the bills need paid and my card's bounced. Four, five, six, seven. All the way up to the top to 10, losing a family member. Okay, that's, that's the be all and end all. That's, I can't swear. I don't know if I can swear. I'm not going to swear. Okay. That's, that's the worst. <laughs> that's the worst. Okay. Um, and... I said, okay, what point on the scale, one to 10, would we get professional help? Would we get counseling, intervention, speak to the doctor? And they were like, no, not, none of those. We wouldn't, we wouldn't. And, I, and I, I was like, well, why? Because you're meant to be a man. You're meant to not be weak. I would maybe call your dad and tell him, but I wouldn't tell a counselor or a therapist. Why, why would I do that? So, and I said, to what point then would you? They were like, some of them said they'd rather die. So I'm thinking, if you get to the point where your your identity is within the strength of being able to deal with a situation and not in your ability to admit that you are struggling, we have a serious problem here that we need to address within our communities to allow people not only to reach in and say, okay, what's wrong with me, to reach out and say, I need help. And I need like my band of brothers beside me. And I know that it is a problem between males because every time I do the workshops, it's guys that will say, I would be far too high up that scale before I would ask anyone for help. Whereas my mum's washing's got rained on, she's phoned a man to tell her, that's, that's one out of 10 for stress. <laughs> so women are much better at offloading about stress because it's part of how we, I guess, grow up in society. We talk a lot, we're encouraged to speak, we're encouraged to um, communicate in different ways. But some of our boys and young men, and not all of them, you know, I'm, I'm very, very lucky that uh, my fiance, he's fantastic at speaking and communicating and he's very understanding and caring, but that's because of his upbringing and, and, and the way that he has, has been taught to communicate. And I, I know that that's something that's possible but it's only possible if it's part of your, your life growing up. Um, and I think the, the passion for what I'm doing grows every day when I hear these stories. And it being a community organisation means that the community needs to benefit from being able to reach out for help and for other people who are struggling to reach in and say, say to the community, guys, I need somebody, someone, one of you from in there to come into my house and help me because my walls are crumbling. And if people can't do that, we are going to lose people, and mm. and we don't want, and it's unnecessary, it's unnecessary loss, um, and it's all about being able to sit comfortably around the table, listening to something that's very uncomfortable, and if you can get comfortable with the uncomfortable and sit in it, and be there for somebody, and look in their eyes when they're telling you something pretty terrible, and be supportive, not give them any answers, but just be there as a person, that's most of the time what people need. And do you think um, having not like it's almost like being f- kind of forced to have those conversations? Is it like the first step is actually going there and sitting around the table, like you say? And then, what what is it like to to get going? Is it is it always a bit ropey? And then does it just mm-hmm. kind of? No, it's so it's horrible. It, everyone, everyone looks at me and they're like, like looks out like one yeah, eye. Like, almost. Please right. don't make us do this. Please don't make us do this. <laughs> you know what? And I'm like got post pink post-it notes up, and my dad's pal who's an electrician. I'm like, tell um, me three positive things about the dairy. He was like, what? Um, uh, my lunch, 
my lunch was good, the car didn't break down. Like, so it's about actually finding a level where you can connect with people. So before I even started the workshop, I was like, there's no way these guys are going to talk. So I called it Boys Beer and Banter. And mm -hmm. I had a bucket of beers in the middle of the shed. I did it in my dad's shed as well. We weren't inside in comfy sofas, um, like my mum's workshop that I did. We were out in the barn, rustic, beers were in a, a cold uh, barrel in the middle. And for about 20 to 25 minutes, I let them just chat and have a couple of beers and relax and sat down and, and then very gradually sort of introduced our themes and our topics. And it's all about knowing your audience. So mm -hmm. who have you got in front of you? Do the research, find out who's in front of you, find out what traumatic things might have happened to them, be sensitive about those issues, or equally show that this is a supportive environment where they can share it. Um, and I think I'm very lucky in that when I work with staff, I'm working with smaller groups of staff where I know a little bit about them and they know about me. So it's not just someone walking in and saying, talk about your trauma or talk about something that's really hard in your life or why don't you go to a therapist? It's nothing, it's not that, it's about supporting the people that are in front of you. And again, the whole, the whole mantra of it all is serving yourself first. So knowing yourself inside out so that you can best then help somebody else. So that when you're in a conversation with somebody, you don't go, yeah, that happened to me too. And I'll tell you, yeah. I'll tell you about the time <clears> it happened to me. Your ego is completely out of the room. It's nothing to do with you. It's about that person and how, and how important they are in that moment. I've been self-aware and having that emotional intelligence almost, isn't it, to try and to read the situation. Such a powerful program you've set up then, but it sounds of it and sure it's helping many people. Um, is it something that you do with staff in your school or is it yeah. outside your school as well? Yeah, no, so I, I basically I started it um, outside of school to begin with just to test that these sort of conversations and, and workshops worked. Um, and then my very first sort of official cohort was um, with probationers in Aberdeenshire. Um, and I managed to get all the probationers who were doing their probation year um, in a workshop for a couple of sessions um, up at Aberdeen City. And um, they found it quite useful in terms of just being able to talk about the stresses of, of teaching, but also how that looks like and how it can turn out into burnout. And then I've been doing a couple of staff CLPL sessions, you know, in service days um, across different local authorities. But Good. now I'm in my school, within my role, I can look after staff wellbeing um, for our staff. So I offer twilight sessions for staff to opt into. And then equally, we get some time in service days to do many snippets. And it's all about just those little tiny little um, tasters so that people can whet their appetite. They can understand a little bit, but not ramming it down their throat and saying yeah. you need to do this personality test and find out what Myers-Briggs personality you are and tell me all about your life because that's obtrusive and it's not all it's also not up everyone's street so the people who maybe just want to take a bit of a back seat they can learn how um their level of communication might impact somebody they care about and everybody has somebody they care about that they might be a little bit worried about and that's you know mm -hmm. that's where we want to make sure that people's personal life is safe so when they come to school they're not having to think about or worry about things that are happening outside of school. They can be present in school. Yeah, just sort of give them that gentle nudge. Yeah. Rather than ramming it down the throat, as you say. Yeah. Um, right, so finally, um, on the kind of last question here, it's, a sl it's on a slightly different um, topic. Hayley, what would, what would, would you say makes a high-quality teacher in the current climate that we're in? It's a good question, and I was actually thinking about it um, today because obviously I knew this was coming up. And if I think about teachers who are thriving at the minute, you are, you're very self-aware and you're aware of when somebody comes to say something to you, what your facial expression is, what your verbal reaction is, and how you treat that person when they speak to you. You have no idea if it's a staff member or if it's a pupil, what sort of day that they've had. So I'd say very slow to judge is a really good, really good starting point. Slow to judge and self-aware in terms of your reaction. Secondly would be, um, and I know this, <laughs> this is one I thought about today, I thought it's just true. It's the, it's the, it's the only thing that keeps me um, sort of on, on point when I'm teaching is organisation. So if you can organise your resources, whether that's paper or online, if you can be organized, that's one less thing to stress about. 
And if you reduce the number of things that are manageable within a day that, that, that you don't need to stress about, you then are more present in your teaching. And if your workspace is organized, your resources are organized, your pupils are organized, if they come in and they know exactly what the protocol is, what you do every single day, they then get into a routine where you don't need to worry that they're not um, doing the right thing. You, then you don't have to manage that behavior. Yeah. So by setting up really um, simple yet effective habits in your teaching, come in at the same time, check your emails, get ready for the day, do whatever you need to do, and then the pupils do the exact same. They then fall into a, a really nice habit that you can then allow them to have better learning and teaching experiences because you're not tying yourself in knots, lost your keys, half-eaten apple on your table. You know, you, everything that that can be managed is managed, but in a in a really organised way. And I, and I didn't want to say that one because I was like, that's really boring. But actually, it's so important. And I'm going to look around me. The, the best leaders and the best teachers are the most organized and they prioritize making sure that those little things that can go wrong and can have an impact. Like if you lose your keys, you know, your whistle's yeah. on there, you know, every, everything. So it's put them in the exact same place every day at the end of the day so that when you start the school day in the morning, you're not running around looking for your key. It's, it sounds so simple. Yeah. Quite often the most simple things are, most as you know, the most effective. Um, yeah. And then thirdly, um, it would be definitely giving yourself permission to de-school. So I call it de-schooling. Uh, one of my friends, she, she, um, she came up with this, this phrase. So basically when she goes on holiday, her, her husband, he's not, a, he's not a teacher. She says, for the first day on holiday, we go to Mallorca, he knows not to speak to me. I'm lying at the pool and I'm de-schooling so that I can have a great holiday for the other six days. And I'm, you know, I finished being Miss So-and-so and I'm now myself. And whether you need to give yourself a day or you need to give yourself 10 minutes, you need to let yourself down regulate because you're you're pretty high paced when you're at school. You're 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 you know constantly going. You're putting on a show for the kids. You're loving it. You know you're you're taking in all the banter, but you're also giving it back, and it's it's constant. But your body will eventually, um, you know, it, it'll it'll lose. It, it won't it won't keep up with the pace. So it's giving yourself that permission to de-school, whether it's on your way home, listening to a podcast, putting on music that relaxes you, reading a book. For me at the minute, what I really like to do is come home, put the kettle on, and I just sit with no one, nothing to interact with and just sit and look out at the trees of the garden with a cup of tea and a, a biscuit or an oat cake or something. Yep. And that's my 10, 15 minutes. And, you know, that's my space to just be completely still. Because when in a day... Do you actually sit still? You know, you're sitting typing or you're sitting, you're doing mm -hmm. stuff. You're ever actually perfectly still, at, you know, in your body. Um, and that just allows everything to go back to neutral. Um, and quite often at the start of the day, giving yourself a moment of stillness as well. So I always make sure I sit down at the start of the day for 10 minutes um, for breakfast before I then rush out the door. And then my rushing can start, but consciously sitting still. I think if you do that as well, you, you look forward to it, don't you? Mm -hmm. those, those yeah. 10, minute blocks yeah. and it's not a lot to give yourself you know 10 minutes a day if you can't give yourself 10 minutes a day that's that's saying something about how much you prioritize yourself yeah you're getting it wrong somewhere um yeah. right so just finally then before we move on to the quick fire round is there any sort of other uh, good examples of addressing teacher well-being that you've seen or any future plans that you've got within your school or anything that you're continuing um we're going to be hopefully looking at a uh, mental health through an attachment lens. Now it's a really exciting project um, that, that we've been able to expand on in the last sort of few months um, since coming out of lockdown. And it's a charity that we've been really, really lucky to engage with early on. Um, it's a social enterprise, it's called Being Unity. Now okay. Being is the Gaelic uh, name for hill or Monroe or mountain, you know, like the high places that we find in Scotland. And Unity obviously is, is being together. So. Um, you'll find them on Twitter. They have, do an amazing amount of work and it's founded by a guy called Danny Gemmell. Now, Danny has um, done a lot of research and a lot of development of mental health through an attachment lens and we look at how our attachments in life can significantly impact our mental health and an understanding of that on a personal level, but then equally through child development and how the brain develops in the first three years of a child's um, child's life can have a significant impact on the health, wealth and success that they experience later in life. That's been an amazing journey to learn 
um, I, went, I went on a, a three-day course with Danny um, to prepare us for launching that in our school. But equally, there are lots of opportunities that he has, has since expanded to looking at how we use the outdoors to increase people's mental health. And one of them is taking young people out into the outdoors and doing um, expeditions and opportunities for them to, to go outdoors from the, the children might be from backgrounds which um, they might have faced challenges in getting the outdoors. They might not have had boots or waterproofs or, or, or a rucksack to, to use. He's going to provide that through his um, social enterprise by creating revenue and income from training up um, people in mental health and the SQ, SQCF level six mental health first aid qualification. And then right. that revenue will then help him buy the equipment that will allow young people to go out into the great outdoors. So that's a really, really exciting opportunity. It's also quite an amazing um, approach to look at mental health through an attachment lens because there are many different lenses we can look through, but this one seems to be one that is on the rise in terms of us understanding how the brain has a significant, significant impact on how we act and behave and how we act and behave then um, can have a really big impact with how we experience life and our our relationships um, from from those very experiences can mm. can have a negative or a positive impact. Yeah, it's definitely gathering some pace in my authority as well. Like we were getting trained up in attachment informed practice um, during set days and we've we interviewed a senior education psychologist just a couple of weeks ago so you might enjoy yeah. that episode when it comes out. We'll, we'll definitely send it over to you. Brilliant. Um, right, so it'll be good to have you on again in the future and um, that was brilliant um, for a webinar potentially, but uh, thanks very much for sharing your insights and experiences. Some really powerful messages in there, so some stuff I'm going to take away as well. I'm sure Lewis will be the same. Definitely. But um, before we let you go to enjoy your night, Haley, we always like to finish off with our quick fire round of three questions. So, are you ready? Yes. Perfect. <laughs> Number one, if you could have a giant billboard anywhere, what would it say on it? Brush your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Take that one to Old Clark. There's nothing worse when you forget though, isn't there? See, in lockdown and got to lunchtime, I was like, I've still got brushes. Clark, I think you've still got a wee bit of dinner stuck between your teeth. Look after those gnashers, we've only got one set. It's after a night out, I forget. Be honest. Brilliant. That's that's uh, that's probably the best one I've heard of them yet. <laughs> I'm totally off topic. Love it. Um, number two, then, which people or books have had the biggest influence in your life? So two books, um, and it's, it always is the last two books that you've read because you can never remember the ones from last year. <laughs> so um, the first one that I started this year with was Michelle Obama. Um, her her book, her autobiography, is absolutely amazing, inspiring, and. She's a, she is a self-proclaimed perfectionist, so she likes to get things done and get them done really well um, and is a bit of a impatient sort of leader, so she likes things done yesterday. Her whole journey through becoming a lawyer and she actually mentored Barack Obama, so he was her, she was his senior um, and, and everything in terms of the learning that she has gone through, being a leader, a mum, uh, a first lady is quite incredible and I think we can all learn mm. something from her and, and from their story. It's, it, it is amazing the amount of pressure that her and her family had on them during their time in the White House and that's eight intense years. If she can do that, you know, we can we can pay mortgages and, you know, get to school on time. So it's things in perspective a wee bit, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So I really love that book. Very relatable uh, and very, very human, very... Um, truthful and then the one that I'm reading just now is called Untamed by Glennon Doyle and it's um, basically all about how you live your truest self and your most authentic self and what society um, the pressures that it puts on you growing up and what you believe to be success is probably very different to actually what you feel deep down um, brings you happiness and success so it's all about basically letting out your inner sort of um, intuition to, to trust it and, and follow it and her journey through life in, in, in doing that so both two incredible women who have gone through very very challenging and unbelievably tough lives but in their reflections I think we can learn lots from it. 
Brilliant. And then final one, then number three. What top three tips would you give to a teacher just now to help them avoid burnout? Um, the single one, which will make a, a massive difference, is go to bed early. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I, I only did this maybe three or four years ago because as part of our uh, personal development session that we did in New Zealand, you had to ask some of your very best friends all about what they think you need to do better. Mm-hmm. And one of my pals said to me, she's like, you go to bed too late. She like, you can't go to bed after midnight if you're a teacher. And I was like, why? And she was like, you just can't and you shouldn't. So by half an hour, I reduced my, um, my nighttime sort of um, plan and made it, made it earlier and earlier. So now I'm head on the pillow by 10 o'clock. And mm-hmm. I don't yawn anymore at school. Mm-hmm. I used yeah. to yawn my face off every day. And even if you're not asleep at 10, you're in bed and you're starting to wind down. Wind down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was listening to the Become an Educated podcast with Dan Leslie. He, he had a guy on uh, talking about the science of learning and saying that there's a sleep crisis just now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In schools because the kids are staying up later than you know one two in the morning mm-hmm. xbox or phones you know so yeah that was interesting listening to that and how they're not ready to learn when they come yeah to and it's turning your screen off so like on my phone when it gets to nine o'clock uh, my phone goes on to black and white so the light reduces and then all my apps i can't get into them so yeah, idea. um and then in the morning they don't come on till nine o'clock so i'm in school teaching when my apps are then reactivated so it then means when you start the day and you finish the day you're not bing ping 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 yeah. and the notifications will still be there when you check them but it's just when you check them it shouldn't be when you're rested or coming out of rest it's constant isn't it like that's sometimes yeah. the first thing you check when you wake up like yes. i take my phone off airplane mode and then things just start pinging i'm like yeah why did i do that like just yeah we'll leave it, that for break time always me? Hey. What's that? <laughs> probably always me Hi, well, I'm I, I, I'm like I'm an early bedder, like genuinely, because I need to get into work out, like because I've got such a long drive into Fife, I need to get up at like five o'clock, and I'm absolutely shattered wow. by like nine o'clock at night. So I literally just yeah. go in airplane mode, um, and then I wake up in the morning. I've got like loads of WhatsApps, whatever, from group chats and things, and I, I'm I'm guilty of checking that first thing. Like that's yeah. just to, almost to try and wake myself up, but I need to get better at at just getting up and. Mm-hmm. Just jump in the shower, whatever it is. But, mm-hmm. uh, but no, like, that is Instagram's your favourite, isn't it? I've actually I've, I've deleted that. I'm on a, a digital detox. When you watch, when you watch a social di- dilemma, you're almost in a dilemma yourself. You're like, uh, oh, yeah. no, oh, no. I know all these but... all these documentaries are just like they they make you contemplate about exactly. Um, but no, Haley, that's been an absolutely fantastic episode tonight. It's just clear how how passionate you are for for what you've come on to talk about, about teacher um, and personal health and well-being. It's been um, a great insight into the work that you've done. And I just want to say thanks for giving up your time tonight to come on and, and share it with us. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks, Haley. It was finally nice to meet you. Yes, you too, thanks. guys. Thanks again. Stay tuned for this week's takeaway messages from the boys at A Wee Bit of Everything. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode um, of the podcast, Clark, on teacher well-being and kind of how to avoid burnout um, some absolutely brilliant information in there some really good insights and a lot of things that I can relate with in, in my own teaching um, but for your takeaway message tonight do you want to kick us off? Yeah no that was, it, was a, it was a fresh episode something completely different um, something really powerful um, it's got me thinking about how I love my own life and how I'm um, how I should be more present when I'm teaching and how I should be taking care of my own well-being um, after school and before school so that I'm in the best possible shape physically, mentally, emotionally and socially when, when working with the young people and working with staff um, as well. So num- my top takeaway message would have to be Lewis, would be the staff CLPL um, extracurricular programme that, that uh, Haley spoke about. That would be something that I could think I could take away and implement into my own practice. Um, so rather than just having extra curricular programs for, for pupils, have it for staff. So as you said earlier, they're just off off camera. Um, a, a volleyball club, which is always always a good bit of banter and a good bit of a good way to de-school, as Haley said. Um, yeah, I love that up, phrase. Getting all the terms in, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> nah, so just it doesn't even need to be a PE. It could be just a walk. It could even just be like a walking club or a arts and arts craft session mm-hmm. just, some, just something create, create a bit of morale 
a bit of positive staff morale, which is mm. which is going to be uh, of the benefit to um, the staff and then also the pupils. I think you've already so, had that. You've already had a, a fantastic thing up and running over the last few weeks in your school, haven't you? We are. Your Strava group, it's something I think that's it's quite straightforward to set up and you were saying how it's it's got everybody, there's been a, a good buzz about the, the departments and that. Oh, it has, it's been competitive. Um, some people, it's, it's, it's good to see how people take it differently. Some have been really competitive and pushing their team and trying to do maximum amount of miles in a week. Mm-hmm. And then you've got others who are just doing it for fun and everybody takes it differently, but everyone's getting, getting something out of it, which is yeah. the main thing for me and obviously for everybody taking part. Absolutely, it's having that impact, as you say, you know. <laughs> oh, no, brilliant. Um, right, so um, what would your key takeaway message be then for the for the listeners, the million of listeners out there? The millions. No, I, I liked, um, she, I think I thought Haley used a lot of really good analogies and to, to help understand the importance of your of your well-being. But I like the, the thing when I asked her the question about barriers or myths that she often hears in relation to teacher well-being. Um, and she spoke about that um, in relation to time. Um, so basically what she was saying is you can't give from an empty cup as a, as a teacher you're constantly trying to you're trying to give you're trying you're using up all your energy to teach to put on extracurricular and doing so many different tasks throughout the day um, but often we find ourselves um, or teachers certainly find themselves um, not giving enough time for themselves um, to, to kind of rekindle and rejuvenate and whether that is just taking 10 minutes for yourself like Hayley gave the, the example where she just sits and chills out when she comes home has a cup of tea and just takes 10-15 minutes for herself to sit down and chill out or it could be going to the gym or doing an evening activity just to kind of help you switch off from from the, the day where you are your head is just completely buzzing but I'm I'm quite um, lucky that I've got a, a long drive home that's that's my de-schooling time that I, I know I've seen I've seen us go sometimes out and watching the football as well, but I've never seen yeah. you in empty cup anyway in the pub. Excuse <laughs> you're always filling it up. <laughs> um, I definitely, but, I always, I always like to um, on the drive home. I'll, I'll phone somebody and just have a wee, a wee blether and just, just talk about my day. I think that that really helps me anyway. Um, that's been useful. Just I think uh, even these conversations as well on the mm-hmm. podcast that we do. Yeah, definitely it forces you to speak about something different, doesn't it? different topics every single week so it's finding something that you can do to, to fill your time so you're, you're maybe not just going home and doing work related stuff find something else that you can that you can do to to help with that that well-being side of things so it's funny, it's funny how we, we're on different schedules though I'll, I'll, I'll be texting you at night and it gives me one tick on whatsapp so I was like, he's in his bed then i wake up and you've tried to phone me he's <laughs> <laughs> just getting ready <laughs> you slept in. Does that feel like an hour ahead in London in terms of time zone difference? Aye, well. Feels like that. Mm-hmm. You're, always, you're always an hour ahead of me. Always ahead of the game. <laughs> anyway, thanks again for listening in to another episode of We've Got Everything. Until next week, take care.